Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh, with me, Carrie Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is the top of the hour. Carrie Harrison with you, your new best friend. Welcome to Rethinking Heroes. Today, we're going to have a bit of a twofer. What we're doing here today, not only is it here to help the idea of public radio and put out the voice of freedom and of thought, but also portions of this broadcast today, are going to be aired by the United Nations on the 21st of September. It is their International Day of World Peace. <clears throat> and we have been picked to uh, help live stream that and host it. And so uh, what we do here, what we say here, is going to be seen by the world. So, you know, if you aren't convinced that where you spend your time actually matters, of course you may hate the U.S. Oh, my God. Hate them then you might want to sit down and write the five things you hate about them, and you actually won't be able to think of one, except you keep what you were told repeatedly that they don't pay their debt or something. Whatever that means, you're not exactly sure. Any chance to get a bunch of people together in a room, especially during these times, is a good chance. Peace has never been more vulnerable. We have never been more minutes away from real nuclear attack, other than maybe when Khrushchev and Kennedy had live nukes hanging off of Cuba, 70 miles off the U.S. coast. Other than that, we're there, baby. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, which is funded by Carnegie, if you can imagine such a thing, shows us at like one second to midnight. Midnight is full-on nuclear war. So let's just get real and realize if we don't talk to all the kids in the room, no kids get talked to. And then they act out. And here we are right in the middle of acting out. So with that said, let's jump right on into it. In pursuing peace for the world, we sometimes have to revisit some of the circumstances which changed the world as we know it. On this recent anniversary of 9-11, September 11th, we can remember the game-changing words of then-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, who told his aides, quote, go massive, sweep it all up, things related and not. Oh, I'm going to say that part again. Things related and not go massive, sweep it all up. Things related and not. We then saw the invasion of Afghanistan and the unrelated Iraq, even though it had no direct connection to 9-11. Well, our next guest points out this decision set in motion a chain of events that would result in one of the darkest chapters of modern history and makes more necessity, the, uh, the greater necessity of all of us being today. But I want to take a moment quickly and just give some love to KPFK because we we really are the lone entity on the landscape. If you go to the commercial spectrum, AM radio, anywhere in Los Angeles, and we have 103 radio stations. We are a giant radio market. If you listen around, you're not going to hear the content you hear here. You should. You remember, well, 
you know, when my father was a kid, he was telling me about this guy named Walter Cronkite. I remember him when I was a kid. There were grown-ups that came on the news every day, and they really, they refused to their networks to do stories that weren't in the service of the public good. And that's when the anchors still had journalistic prowess. Today, when you watch your local news, particularly, as Gore Vidal famously said while giving a commencement speech at Harvard some years ago, he was asked by a young student, so I want to be a journalist. What are the two most important things I know to pull that off? And he said, take a, whore, take a course in hair and nails. And there was an explosion of applause, a lot of laughing. Here we are today. Have you ever seen any of your local anchors actually step up and break down the massive storms that are happening and actually say it's climate change? Let's look at climate change. Let's look at the history. Let's look at cause and effect. Nope. And now a car commercial from the wonderful fill in the blank. And you can't blame them. They're owned, bought, and paid for by corporate media. And their job is to sell things in commercials and keep you so interested by doing cat stories or Kardashian butt implant stories or Kardashians holding up traffic on Santa Monica Boulevard for four straight miles because they decided to step out and do a selfie. And yeah, that's bad. Like we do the traffic news for sure, but that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because of the Kardashian brand. And when a TV station uses hashtag Kardashian, guess what happens? They get credit as if someone watched TV because they get a hit online. All the hits add up to what they would call viewers, which are not viewers because they don't have that many anymore. It's all a game. It's all a trick. It's smoke and mirrors. And here we are today in this unfortunate reality where we have to fend for ourselves. We have to go hunt for news. How many times have you been asked or do you ask your friends, so where do I go for news? I can listen to Rachel Maddow, but Jesus, that's, you know, it's a lot too. I can go to Fox and they're doing the exact opposite side. I mean, is there anything good anywhere? Nope, nothing good anywhere. There's just extreme on either side. And what we hope to do here is just bring you common sense. You take what you like, you leave the rest. We do not force feed it down your throat. We don't call you up. Did you take notes on the show? Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800 726 2194. 800 726 2194. That's 800 726 2194. 
Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. We are in complete control. We are Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com Do you have a car sitting around you want to get rid of? Then here's a great idea. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Yes, one fast call to the Veteran Car Donation Program and we'll come and remove your car for free. Fast, free towing and 24-hour response. You can donate most cars, trucks, or SUVs in most conditions. The proceeds raised goes to help active military, veterans, and their families. And you get a tax deduction. All you need to do is make this free call. Get rid of that old car and help the vets. We make it easy. Make this free call now and book your fast and easy pickup. Call the Veteran Donation Program now. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Operators are standing by. Here's the number. 800-223-3831 That's 800-223-3831 Okay, we are going to talk now about uh, 9-11, about this anniversary coming up and what it means. And we're going to have with us an expert who has done more than you and I in our lifetimes to reach out and understand and do the research here. So that's kind of the beautiful thing. The Bush-Cheney White House outlined a massive multi-country effort to commit war all over the world that would span 60, six zero nations. It's led to the loss of nearly a million lives and the indirect of over three million more. At least that's what we think. Today, dozens and dozens of countries use excuse that they're engaged in a war on terror. Well, that's why we're doing it. It's a war on terror. Any other questions out there from you? Okay, we're going back in the room now. War on terror. And would you mind breaking down what terror is? Nope, sorry, a little too busy for that. You know what it is. Goodbye, slam the door. And that's exactly where you're sitting. You're wondering, what does that actually mean? And it cannot be defined and will not be defined, and therefore it will work. Dig up the corpse of George Orwell, also known as the book 1984. Reread it. Reread Animal Farm, reread Huxley, and you'll get, ah, this feels so oddly familiar. With us right now is Norman Solomon, whose new book, War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. It sheds lights on how the U.S. transformed vast regions of the world into global free zones. And this reflection invites us to complement, uh, contemplate rather, the far-reaching consequences of this war on terror and its profound impact on all of us, and how discussions of peace continue to have a crucial role in these 
most uncertain times. Norman Solomon, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Very much, Gary. Very glad to have you here and very glad uh, for all of the work you've done, uh, often, let's say, largely without a pat on the back. Thank God your books are out there, so they're real, so we know about it, so we can read it, so we can learn, so we can have the school that we need, school that is not taught in school, but that you have done that part and taken uh, the role of an entire university, put it into a book, and we have the education of who is behind what, how it went, and where things are likely to go. So let's talk for a minute, Norman Solomon. How did the New York Times editorial express its view regarding the U.S. response to the 9-11 tax on Afghanistan? And what was the public sentiment at the time? Well, four weeks after the horrific events of 9-11, the United States began the so-called War on Terror, and the New York Times editorialized really in unison with all of the, virtually all of the mainstream media, that it was about time. The, the Times said that American people were patient, but we knew this was going to come. And as the missiles began to fall on Afghanistan, there was enormous cheering and gratification. What we perhaps didn't know at the time was that it would launch an endless war in search of enemies, as you mentioned, Carrie, in dozens and dozens of countries, sometimes with massive publicity, such as the invasion of Iraq, quite often with very little or no publicity. Countries in Africa and Asia subjected to drone strikes, subjected to special operations, and so here we are, as you noted, on the cusp of the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. And when we look at the consequences, they are massive. The Costs of War Project at Brown University documenting more than 950,000 direct deaths, almost half of them civilians, as a result of the post-9-11 U.S. wars. And the indirect deaths? pushed that total number of post 9-11 US wars deaths up to four and a half million. And so when you do the math, you find that the innocent souls that were extinguished on 9-11, the 3,000 of them, the ratio is more than 100 to one of innocent souls that have been extinguished by the US government since then. And we're talking only civilians directly killed. More than 100 to 1? We have one death in the Twin Towers in the Pentagon and in Pennsylvania on 9-11. And for each one of those deaths, the U.S. has gone out with rage and displaced anger, killed more than 100 people. It's time for long overdue time for a reckoning. And that reckoning has been avoided by mainstream media, avoided by the bipartisan war party in Washington. And so really the first words I wrote for this book were the title, War Made Invisible, because as these wars have become more perennial, more nonstop, more melding into the wallpaper of our society, the less we even see them. We're talking to Norman Solomon, and Norman, you're, of course, uh, inextricably uh, intertwined with the Institute for Public Accuracy, RootsAction.org, a lot of organizations, and uh, your most recent in Tom Dispatch and other places. 
give us a revelation, give us access to this kind of thinking. And since we are being heard and seen around the world, I think it's important for other people to note that while we're speaking, frankly, about the behavior of our own country, the United States, you might not live in a country where you get to do that. And this is something that's pretty normal for us. Like we just talk about who we are and we put it right on the table and sometimes it's ugly, sometimes it's beautiful, but we at least still are mostly able to do that. And you're hearing that happen today, which is, again, it might be anathema for you. If you're in Russia or somewhere else, go try it and see how long you hang around the planet. We're at least safe here on U.S. soil a little bit. But let's jump a little bit into what I've just said here, Norman. We have this freedom of speech. We have this freedom of press. But it doesn't mean that we can really tell the whole story. But we can get pretty close and still not get too severely punished. So even here in the United States nowadays, it's pretty tricky for you to put this information out. You're reminding me of something that Mark Twain said. There were uh, three wonderful virtues of living in the United States, uh, freedom of press, freedom of speech, and the wisdom to not really use either one. And of course, that was Mark Twain being wry. And of course, there were exceptions. But we're not using in the United States the freedom of speech, the freedom of thought to articulate and take action nearly as much as we need to. And as you said, there are wonderful things about the United States. There are awful, terrible things about the United States. We need to acknowledge both aspects. And I really encourage people, wherever you live, to take a page from the writing of Antonio Gramsci, the great anti-fascist in Italy, who said we need pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. Let's be realistic, not fatalistic, but realistic about what we're facing right now. And also go ahead and assert our optimism of the will, our determination. And my little effort has been to try to research and articulate the true situation post 9-11 in terms of U.S. militarism, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the madness of militarism, so for access to information and assessments and analysis, I do invite people to go to this website, wherever you live on the planet. If you can get on the web, go to warmadeinvisible.org. That's warmadeinvisible.org. And be part of that flow of information that you could share, not only for its own sake, but we need to organize where we live. We're social beings, human beings who understand we need human connection. It's not through buying soda pop and new cars that are advertised. Our social connection is by making things better for other human beings and the next generations. One of the nice things about talking with you, Norman Solomon, is that there you have uh, institutional knowledge. You have a great capacity to understand the events of world history, tie them together, and the fluidity to talk about different subjects as they come up. So I'm not diverting from your book here, but I just want to talk a little bit about fascism because we brought it up. And it's a word that makes people cringe. And they're not, they think of Mussolini, probably Hitler. They're not sure what it means. It's probably a bad word. And then there's Antifa. So maybe it doesn't mean fascism. Maybe it means Black Lives Matter. And somebody in there was a communist. I think I read that on Facebook. And then everyone gets lost. The state of Florida, one of our great states and a very important state in U.S. politics, apart from the palm trees, Miami Beach and all the rest of it, 
it has the highest amount of white people over 80, and that is a significant voting block for a certain way to vote. The current governor of Florida has more power than governors of other particular states. You can almost think of him as the governor of the Bahamas <laughs> back during the, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. He can basically decide and declare and did pass, for instance, in one week, about 200 draconian laws in one week. Now, if you're the governor, the leader of somewhere, and you pass one law and it's bad, some lawyers, some attorneys might start challenging it. The people might wake up to it. You might get some pushback. But if you drown them in 200 laws, whether they're legal or not, uh, things change. And here's how it worked in Germany in the 1920s. Let's say you said black shirts are illegal. Black shirts, an innocuous black shirt. Well, so now you're not allowed to sell them. After a few years of nobody being able to allowed to sell them, even if they find that it's illegal to say that you can't sell black shirts, there aren't any black shirts anymore to sell. And now things have changed and now it's become normal. And so in Florida, it is a third degree felony, which is uh, not the worst punishment, but it's a punishment. If you mention on a public spot, a library, a place owned by the state, a university, that slavery was real, you have committed a third degree felony. Likewise, if I stood there and said, I'm gay, third degree felony. This is 2023. This is the United States of America. And again, here we are talking about ourselves in while other countries could not probably talk at this level. But to me, I see this as a kind of militarism. Bombs have not been launched, but it has the same effect of crushing the public spirit, diminishing the discourse and the way that people can talk and view each other. And of course, they cannot trust each other now. They cannot trust their government. And lack of trust means they're vulnerable to worse things. Yeah. What's happening in Florida now is a laboratory for neo-fascism to move the United States fully into that direction. And many of the unhinged laws that have been pushed through by Governor DeSantis are fascistic. There's no question about that. One of them, uh, many of the laws are centered around one way or another, the idea that it should be illegal to make some people uncomfortable. Can we possibly look at U.S. history and truly teach that history without making anybody uncomfortable? It's ridiculous, but it's even on its own terms, completely dishonest because by doing that, we're making other people uncomfortable. So what it's saying is some people don't matter and some people do. And wouldn't you know the people who do matter are the ones with white skin, according to these new laws. I think it's very important for us to move away from what is popularized as an either or choice for people that either you oppose these right wing now neo-fascist Republicans, um, or if you don't do that, then you have to equate their evils with the militarism and the corporatism of the Democratic Party. We don't conflate, should not conflate them both. The Republican Party is way worse. It is fascistic. That doesn't mean we need to do puffballs and PR for the Democratic Party, which is problematic in many ways. So it's not an either or, it's let's have a single standard of human rights, fight fascism, and also push for genuine progressive change. 
We're going to pause for just a second, Norman Solomon. When we return, we're going to talk about how the media's role was played in shaping public opinion and maintaining the momentum for the war on terror, something in which we are still fully engaged two decades later. And of course, as we're talking around the planet to the people of Earth and keeping the theme of peace, it's helpful for you to understand what peace is, what peace is not, and what's actually out there in the background happening to to frustrate maybe these ways to peace. But you need that information And who better than it to come out of the country where much of this is being invented and deployed? And it's a real act of bravery, by the way, anybody showing up for these conversations. So my hat is off to Norman Solomon. Carrie Harris with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, back in a flash. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred not tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. Do you have a car sitting around you want to get rid of? Then here's a great idea. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Yes, one fast call to the Veteran Car Donation Program and we'll come and remove your car for free. Fast, free towing, and 24-hour response. You can donate most cars, trucks, or SUVs in most conditions. The proceeds raised goes to help active military, veterans, and their families. And you get a tax deduction. All you need to do is make this free call. Get rid of that old car and help the vets. We make it easy. Make this free call now and book your fast and easy pickup. Call the Veteran Donation Program now. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Operators are standing by. Here's the number. 800-223-3831. 800-223-3831. 800-223-3831. That's 800-223-3831. We are in complete control. We are Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers and the Annuity Rate Report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. 800-726-2194. 800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194.
Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison here. We are talking about peace. We are talking about the road to peace, understanding that the road to peace is paved with a lot of cobblestones, berms, broken glass, and things that you didn't even know were there. And we're trying to tell you what those things are. And who better than Norman Solomon? Norman Solomon, who uh, has been running an organization called the Institute for Public Accuracy that provides journalists around the world access to real stories. This is one of the places where we find what's really going on, thanks to him. Also, RootsAction.org, another organization that gets out there and finds the truth and delivers us to people like me so we can get it out to you. His new book is called War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. And it sheds light on how the U.S. transformed vast regions of the world into global free fire zones. This reflection, it's a reflection, invites us to contemplate the far-reaching consequences of this endless war on terror and its profound impact on all of us and how discussions of peace continue to have a crucial role during these uncertain times. Norman Solomon, we were going to get into how the U.S. government justifies its military actions in Afghanistan and later in Iraq in the context of 9-11, knowing that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. I'm just going to say that again. The whole world knows it had nothing to do with it. But it's hard to know that because nobody is reminding us of that in the government or in the military. Yes, the posture of the United States after World War II, beginning with the interventions in Korea and, of course, Vietnam and on from there, has been that the United States is a victim, that no matter what happens, it's the U.S. that has been mistreated and that we are avenging that mistreatment. And in small ways, for instance, people might remember there was a pretext to invade Panama. There's a little country in Central America in 1989 because we were told that the the wife of a uh, a Navy sailor from the U.S. military was roughed up. And so the first President Bush said, oh, well, you know, we have to invade Panama to protect uh, the U.S. honor and troops. And after 9-11, immediately there was a on steroids magnification of that approach so that beginning with the statements of President, second President Bush and Donald Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense, the United States, because of 9-11, now had a very strong case, it seemed, to make to the world, we are the victims. And 3,000 people were the victims. But to use that as an excuse to give preemptive absolution to anything the United States would do after that is exactly what was the official position of the U.S. government. And that's part of the invisibility of this war, the canards, the falsehoods, the illogic that fades into our echo chamber uh, that we hear again and again. And so Donna Rumsfeld said as Secretary of Defense quite seriously, whoever dies in Afghanistan, even if they're killed by the U.S., it's the fault of al-Qaeda because of what they did on 9-11. Well, that's absolution now for killing directly and indirectly more than 4 million human beings on this planet. This is unhinged, and yet it's become so normalized that we're told that Uncle Sam can do no wrong. 
You know, it reminds me, Norman Solomon, of the movie Oppenheimer. I don't think there's a living person on the planet, unless there's no movie theater within 7,000 kilometers, who hasn't yet seen the movie. And it invites us also to consider how the war machine is put together and how what appear to be well-meaning guys get painted into a corner and then many people become ambivalent. And it's really this, this human problem that we have, but it is an introduction into what next could become the Cold War and the absolute appetite for it and where we are to get today. So Norman Solomon, what patterns of thought and structural factors have contributed to the persistence of the U.S. military industrial complex, a term uh, coined by then President Eisenhower, uh, so that U.S. military industrial complex and the influence on foreign policy the other people of Earth. Patterns of thought really uh, revolve around the assumption that the United States is the light onto the world, and that even though we have 4% of the world's population, we are really the most important, appropriately, most dominant force, and should be, that the world cannot get along without our dominance. That is sometimes explicitly said, We've heard it in the rhetoric of Democratic and Republican administrations, the idea of U.S. exceptionalism, that the United States, as uh, Secretary of State Donald, uh, rather, uh, Madeleine Albright said during the Clinton administration, the United States is the indispensable nation. Well, really, the United States is only indispensable to itself. So a lot of it is the mindset, the attitudinal approach, and then structurally, these wars are tremendously profitable. And that includes the war in Ukraine, shipping these billions and billions of dollars of weaponry to Ukraine without diplomacy, without any effort for a ceasefire, lets you and them fight. It looks like for years and years. Meanwhile, the cash cow is bigger and bigger. It, as I say in this book, War Made Invisible, it wasn't mission creep after 9-11. It was a dash for cash. And that dash has expanded. It's gotten more and more frenetic, and it's gotten more and more lucrative. We have a U.S., and I don't call this a defense budget, a military budget of close to $900 billion with a B dollars a year. And this reminds me, whether you live in Los Angeles or anywhere else in the United States, you're in a country that was well described by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967 that applies to 2023. Our military spending is so out of control that it functions, in King's words, as a destructive demonic suction tube. And the lack of health care, education, housing, infant care, elderly care, and so much more. While this demonic suction tube is making the military contractors richer and richer. It's interesting, Norman Solomon, as we wrap this up, uh, I was just in Paris for a month doing some research. And one of the pieces of research that was actually pleasurable was watching people in cafes. And I don't mean people like, look, there's some people that the whole city, they sit all day in cafes. But here's what they have. Their tax money goes to pay for their medical. They have unlimited all-you-can-eat medicine. Now, I know we want to sneer at that in the United States because the whole idea of your neighbor having unlimited all-you-can-eat medicine is a problem. But if somebody said to you, look, Tim, I'm going to pull a switch 
when I pull that switch, your tax dollars are going to go for funding a giant military and you get nothing for it, except a lot of maybe upset people and you're confused about what it even is. And I'm going to take some of that money and you're never going to get, if you get sick again, you're going to be covered all the way. When you get old, you will never end up on the sidewalk in tents like tens of thousands of people in Los Angeles kicked to the curb. You will never be kicked out. You will have, you'll die a graceful death and you'll never starve to death. But if you lose your job, your tax money that you pay for, so it's not a government gift, your taxpayer money will come back to you and help you survive until you get the next job. Yes or no, Tim? We know the answer, don't we? You put 100 people in the room and ask them that question, or all your tax money disappears, you'll never see a thing for it. What do you think they're going to vote for? Food, water, shelter. Maslow's hierarchy, right? Simple stuff. And so let's just end with this. In your book, you lay out really so much, so many parts, moving parts of this ever and vastly growing war machine. What about the road to peace? Because you do talk about that too. What can we do or how do we think or observe things so that we can all aim toward peace with, with maybe some greater success? These crucial options for us are to educate ourselves and each other, to agitate, to organize, and insist that we're not going to consume current history like some Wonder Bread, white bread off the shelf. We're going to create history, and that's uh, obviously extremely difficult to do. We can't simply do it as individuals. We need to form organizations or strengthen organizations that already exist, independent, progressive media outlets, other ways to manifest the possibilities of humanity. That's our challenge, and that's our real possibility. So I guess, as always, it's getting together. It boils back down to what you're saying before. We would call it at higher levels, diplomacy. We would call it at lower lower levels, plebiscite, conversation, coffee with your neighbors, discussions, open-minded, uh, because that's the only way. If you drop 100 people on an island somewhere within a short period of time, I'll cut your hair in exchange. You make me shoes. Oh, great. I'll pick the bananas. You know, you make a boat. And then you have something called a village. But invariably, at some point, there's always a Dick Cheney in the room, and he pops in and decides he wants to be king, and all games are over. So we have to keep our eyes open. Uh, we have to observe who says they're our leader and why and what are they doing, and are we going to let them? Because in many ways, and I speak as an American, in many ways, I'd rather watch Netflix than go fight my government. But if I don't fight my government, it will fight me, even though I'm not the enemy. I'm just in the way. So maybe the founding fathers of this country, who in their uh, enormous uh, intuition and genius said that eternal eternal vigilance is the route to a better democracy and a stronger force. So in many ways, just talking to each other, reading your book, using it as an education tool, getting it out to people so they understand how things are stitched together. And once you know that, You could either step around, step through, step over, or step with, if that's your choice. But if you don't know anything about it, you can't do anything about it. And I think that's the situation we're in now. Absolutely. You're reminding me, and I think you're making it very crystal clear, that democracy, we were taught in civics classes, democracy is the informed consent of the governed. 
And routinely, and this is especially true with U.S. foreign policy and war making, what we get is the uninformed pseudo consent of the governed. That's not democracy. We need to turn that upside down. All right. Well, here we are. We have a chance on this International Day of World Peace to do better. It helps when we understand what's at stake and who's behind what and how it all works. Otherwise, we're just sitting around soaking on cotton balls and wondering why it's not working out well. Well, education is half the model. It is. An informed public is a public that can do something about its situation. So I want to thank you, Norman Solomon, author of War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine, which sheds lights on how the U.S. transformed vast regions of the world into global free fire zones. Mr. Solomon's reflection invites us to contemplate the far-reaching consequences of this war on terror and its profound impact on all of us and how discussions of peace continue to have a crucial role in these uncertain times. Give us again the website where folks can go and check out your writing. I hope people will come visit at warmadeinvisible.org. Warmadeinvisible.org. All right. Well, I do thank you, my friend, for joining us today. Best of luck and stay brave because I'm not going to write that book like you did ever. And I don't know anyone who can except you. So you have now way more to do in your life. Don't retire. Well, thanks very much, Carrie, And thanks for all you're doing. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. A little nod to the station and then something else very cool. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448-855-525-7448-855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. We are in complete control. 
Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Do you have a car sitting around you want to get rid of? Then here's a great idea. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Yes, one fast call to the Veteran Car Donation Program and we'll come and remove your car for free. Fast, free towing and 24-hour response. You can donate most cars, trucks, or SUVs in most conditions. The proceeds raised goes to help active military, veterans, and their families. And you get a tax deduction. All you need to do is make this free call. Get rid of that old car and help the vets. We make it easy. Make this free call now and book your fast and easy pickup. Call the Veteran Donation Program now. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Operators are standing by. Here's the number. 800-223-3831. That's 800-223-3831. All right. It is 47 minutes past the hour. I want to talk a little bit about the other structure of life, one of the things that can impede a peaceful way of living, and that is the way that one lives. World Refugee Day is a great opportunity to remind us of the millions of people fleeing war, human rights violations, poverty, climate disasters. It reminds us that no one ever chose to be a refugee. And today, over 108 million people have been forced to flee their homes. Many have risked everything, even their lives, in search of safety and a better life. And as we bring you music for peace in the world, it's helpful to understand some of the issues that upset the balance or get in the way of a more peaceful path. We're all familiar with the development finance institutions owned by the European governments, like the World Bank Group, which are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on expensive for-profit hospitals in the global south, and that blocks patients from getting care, even bankrupts them, with some even being imprisoned because they can't afford their bills. One of the benefits of the U.S. Constitution here in America is that citizens in North America are not allowed to be imprisoned for debt as they were before America won its independence. Another good reason not to have that king. But even though you can't be imprisoned for debt, debt in the United States, especially medical debt, can be so crushing that literally hundreds of thousands of people live on the sidewalks, as we see in Los Angeles today and at this very moment. As we learned from the late Arun Gandhi, who kept the flame of his grandfather's torch brilliantly burning for so many years, when people don't have enough food and water, shelter, conflict emerges, peace evaporates. So with us now is Dr. Caitlin Henderson, a senior research advisor with Oxfam America's U.S. Domestic Policy Program. Oxfam was founded by Oxford University in 1942 and is a collective of some 21 independent charitable organizations focusing on the alleviation of global poverty. Caitlin Henderson is also on Oxfam's board of director and has recently led the research on wages, workers' protections, and rights to organize among the 50 states that comprise the United States of America. This research from Oxfam helps explain the decomposition of a country that was once held as the highest standard for quality of life. (laughs) That's a hard one to turn in and welcome you from, but I'm going to. I'd like to welcome you, Dr. Caitlin Henderson, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Dr. Caitlin Henderson, your index of what you've done looks at how the federal government of the United States has dropped the ball on what we would call social services. Other people call it social security in other countries. Social services, of course, keep civil society from breaking down and going to war with itself, among many other things. 
Can you tell us a bit about the report that you've done, some of its key findings, and were there any findings that surprised you? Absolutely. So our report is really looking at what are the policies that exist at the state level to support low-wage workers and working families. This report looks at 26 different policies across three big themes, which is wages, worker protections, and rights to organize. And the question of the report really started with, in a moment when the federal government isn't doing enough to support workers and working families, what are states doing to step into that gap left by federal inaction? So this is the fifth year we've done this report. This process started in 2017. The first index was released in 2018. And we look at all 50 states plus D.C. and Puerto Rico, and we essentially rank states on how they're doing to support workers and working families. And this year, we see a lot of consistency across those states that are doing a lot to support workers and working families. And we see a lot of consistency at the bottom of the rankings in terms of those states that are not doing enough or choosing to do nothing. But what's exciting every year is to see where movement is happening, where change is really taking effect. And this year, there was a lot of really exciting change happening, especially in the Midwest. Minnesota and Illinois both passed paid leave policies. Michigan overturned its right to work law, which is a law that suppresses union activity. And it was the first state to overturn that particular law in decades. So it was a very exciting year to update this report and really understand where momentum is shifting in support of workers. And do you feel, it sounds like people are getting together and discussing their plight and deciding to do something about it because I'm not familiar in any recent times of governments deciding to like do something great, wonderful for people. Somebody pressured the grown-ups above to like get it together and make it better. Yeah, absolutely true. A lot of these policy changes are really the result of decades of people and communities organizing together and asking for change, often systemic change, holding policymakers accountable and not allowing these issues to fall from the agendas of policymakers. And not every year is there a lot of policy change happening. But the real key that we're seeing is the consistency of keeping that advocacy alive. A lot of changes happening at the local and federal level are the result of decades of organizing and advocacy. So you have specific changes that you mentioned. And the federal government in any country, doesn't matter where you live, so you have a federal government. What can a federal government do to step up the policy gaps that you discuss in your reports? A policy gap would be you'll get this and this and this, but you won't get all of this. The, the won't, what you won't get is the problem for most people. Absolutely. So the report, again, it looks at 26 different policies. Every single one of those policies is either non-existent or inadequate at the federal level. So this report is really meant to be something of a guidepost for both state and federal governments to understand where they can improve. And so we are asking the federal government to do all kinds of things, such as raising the minimum wage. The federal minimum wage has been stuck at the same place for 14 years. It is a below poverty wage, even if you are a full-time worker. And that's to say nothing about the sub-minimum tipped wage, which is still stuck at $2.13 and has been for over 30 years. 
So we are asking the government at the state and federal level to raise the wage. We're asking for paid leave for all workers, paid sick and paid family leave. We're asking for the rights to organize and collectively bargain to be protected. And those are just a handful of the policies that we're pushing forward and that we're asking for at the local and the national level. So the goal of this report in the index is really to provide a guidepost, so to speak, for all governments, all policymakers, as well as an opportunity for us to really celebrate those states that are creating models for what other states and the federal government can do when there's momentum and there's desire behind them. Uh, Dr. Caitlin Henderson with Oxfam, having just done this new study, uh, laying out the different states that have done things that are very positive, along with states that are really in, in the very bottom of the barrel where you probably wouldn't want to go if you thought you were going to ever have a job and live. Uh, even life expectancy, very low in places like Mississippi and Alabama, uh, medical care, very low. And all of that is a choice by the government. It's a choice by politicians. Because whenever people have a chance, you get 100 in a room and say clean water, air, good education, decent roads, thumbs up, thumbs down. Where do you think the thumbs go? 100% up. So when things don't turn out that way, that means somebody wished them not to be that way. And let's get into that a little bit, because when things get too tough for people, you can't have peace. You can't have a peaceful uh, coexistence with your neighbor because there's jealousy or or conflict or somebody's starving and somebody's not. So all of these things where you get better workers' rights, better conditions, uh, better democracy means a more peaceful way of living. It's just true. Uh, Gandhi taught us the more you struggle, the more you're going to punch someone. So are you seeing that in states like Illinois and and others which have expanded uh, civil rights? Who doesn't want that? Expanded the the civil structure there. Are, Are people actually thriving more in those states now? We wanted to understand how labor laws connect to these questions of well-being that you're raising. And so this year, what we did was we looked at how states' scores on our index correlated to measures of well-being, such as levels of poverty, levels of food insecurity, median household income, infant mortality. And what we found is those states that score higher on our index, which is to say states that have a stronger investment in the well, in, in policies and support of workers have much stronger performances in these measures of well-being. So where scores go up, poverty goes down, food insecurity goes down, infant mortality goes down, and median household income goes up. And where those states have a very low score, there are much higher levels of poverty, food insecurity, infant mortality, et cetera. So these are intrinsically connected issues. Labor policies or policies in support of workers and working families have a much larger impact outside of simply the workplace. We're really looking at the well-being of people holistically and also of their families, which is crucial. What a great way to end. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Caitlin Henderson, for joining us today. A senior research advisor with Oxfam America's U.S. domestic policy program, Oxfam founded by Oxford University back in 1942, a collective of some 21 independent charitable organizations focusing on the alleviation of global poverty. And Caitlin Henderson's also on Oxfam's board of directors, recently led the research on wages, worker protections, and rights to organize among the 50 states that compromise the United States of America. 
finding that there is, in fact, a connection between wellness and people be able, being able to do well. Who knew? Such an interesting syllogism. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. We look forward to seeing you next week. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. Life after the military. RethinkingHeroes.com. Copyright Audiences United, LLC. All rights reserved.